Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hi, Jenna. Hello, Beth. (laughs) So good to see you, as always. Great to see you. I'm so excited to have Father Boniface Hicks with us here today. Welcome, Father. Thanks. So good to be with you. Thanks for making the trip. Yeah, all the way to Arizona just for us, Father. What a gift. (laughs) It's a gift for me. (laughs) Father, you sitting at this table is proof positive that God loves me. It's so true. Yeah, that's so true. So um, my birthday was in February, in case you want to put it on your calendar. (laughs) And Father John Parks, who is our ministry's spiritual advisor, gifted me your book, Personal Prayer. It was more like March, I think, by the time he gave it to me, but it was uh, maybe the best birthday gift I've ever received. And now I can't stop talking about this book. And now you're sitting at this table, (laughs) and I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks for receiving so much from the book. I think it's really a fulfillment of that prayer that I offered before we started recording, that we could say what the Lord wants us to say, but that also the listeners could hear what the Lord wants them to hear. Mm. And clearly your heart was open as you read the book. Yeah, praise God. Father, before I do that, before we dive into to this and to your other beautiful book and our conversation, could I ask you to introduce yourself? Sure. So Father Boniface Hicks, and the OSB after my name means that I'm a, a, of the order of St. Benedict, a Benedictine. I'm from St. Vincent Archabbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania which the listeners may not be familiar with, but you should be. Mm. It's the first Benedictine monastery in the United States, founded in 1846. It's the largest Benedictine monastery in the world. So it's worth being knowing something about, I think, anyway. (laughs) But I I joined there in 1998, and that was a year after I was baptized at Penn State. Wow. And became Catholic uh, through the... Well, I I came to know the Lord through... uh, a courageous evangelical who invited me to study the Bible with him one-on-one, total stranger on campus at Penn State, and coming to know the Lord and eventually making an act of faith that all of it's real, I started going to Mass on campus and eventually made my way into the church and then into the monastery. And a real driving force of that was the desire to share the gift of prayer that I had discovered. So that book that you love, (laughs) <laughs> that I'm so grateful to have written with my spiritual director, Father Tom Acklin, who is certainly a, a spiritual master and who I learned so much from, is is a fruish a fruit of the my my initial movement towards vocation and my life in the monastery. So in the monastery, we have a, a seminary and a college, and I was professor in the college, and then I moved over to the seminary. I'm the spiritual director in the seminary and mm-hmm. teach some classes in spirituality and run an institute and give retreats and do spiritual direction and all kinds of other fun stuff. Wow. I'm curious if you're still friends with that friend at Penn State. (laughs) Does he know what happened? That's a great question. Uh, (laughs) Yes. uh, So I also helped to run a radio network. And uh, that radio network broadcasts in State College. And uh, he and some of the other members of that group, the University Bible Fellowship, uh, have uh, listened to that radio. And uh, I went back there as a priest because we run the campus ministry there, Mm -hmm. and uh, I did graduate studies and helped in campus ministry, but their house is only a couple blocks away, and 
We've gotten together several times. We haven't exactly maintained the friendship, but uh, it's it's very open. You know, we could reach out at any time. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So is that how you were aware of the Benedictines? They were on campus? Yeah, I didn't know what a lot of things were. I mean, anyway, the Lord has done things out of order for me Mm -hmm. in many ways. But yeah, the director of campus ministry there took students, uh, some men to the monastery every semester. That trip happened to be the week after Easter Wow! when I was baptized. And he invited me, knowing my interest already in uh, the priesthood and giving my life to the Lord, he invited me on that trip. So that was my kind of formal introduction to the monastery. My first thought was, I'm really interested in evangelization, mm-hmm. not in monastic life. Mm, wow. Yeah. I didn't really know what monastic life was, but anyway, it seems like <laughs> something that's not evangelization. So uh, I came to discover through the, the weekend there and then ongoing trips that uh, St. Vincent Arch Abbey in particular is, and, and our daughter and granddaughter houses are really the, among the most active Benedictine monasteries in the world as well, just mm. as a consequence of our own history and founding and things mm-hmm. like that. But looked at some other places and then uh, through some discernment, the Lord really uh, all but announced to me out loud, I want you to go to St. Vincent. So wow. it took me a few years to figure out why that was, but I'm very mm-hmm. happy that I'm there. <laughs> yeah. I'm fascinated that you were originally discipled by an evangelical, but you ended up in the Catholic Church. You ask all the right questions. It's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sort of describe them like freebies. Mm. The Lord made me not work for some things. Mm. And wow. this particular evangelical group is about as non-denominational as they get in the sense that their mission was to study the Bible with college students one-on-one and then help them get back into their own churches. So they were a little less denominational and church-centric, and so there wasn't quite that gravitational pull. And so as I was making my commitment to the Lord and thinking about where I would go on Sunday, I just had the idea like the Catholic Church is the whole thing. Wow. So I don't know exactly where I got that from. But I'm glad that I had that idea. Yeah. yeah. I just think the Lord thought, it's going to take him too long to figure this out, so I'm just going to give him a freebie yeah. and mm. get him in the door. And then to go right along with that, I started going to Mass uh, several times. Now, I was I was dating a Catholic. My brother had actually become Catholic in the meantime. Oh, wow. There were some positive influences in yes. that sphere, um, though I can't say that they any of them pushed me to do that. But anyway, it was an open door. And... Uh, I went to Mass several times, and then in our Bible study, we studied John chapter 6, and I read that, and I thought, oh, that's what's going on at Mass. And it was another freebie. Like, I just, I didn't even think about the consequences of that or what that means exactly. I just thought, oh, that's what's going on there. You know, check. Okay, keep going. (laughs) And and that came back around later as I was really forced before baptism to think more seriously about what I was doing and not just sort of keep following along this river of grace that God had given me and... And then discovered that in the meantime, a real hunger for the Eucharist had developed in my heart. I I went to Mass for about two years without receiving the Eucharist, mm. um, just for various reasons through through my my journey. It took a uh, took two years before I finally got into the baptismal font. Father, my mom is a John six evangelist. <laughs> when you said that, <laughs> I just could hear her voice in my head. Have they read John six? It's like <laughs> the only evangelization my mom does is around John Great. six. That's hilarious. It's yeah. a winner. <laughs> yeah, truly. At my um grandma's funeral, I led the rosary and we did um the luminous mysteries because I picked them intentionally 
so that nice. we would talk about John 6. And I like read the scripture before each beautiful decade. So I got to read John 6 to them. It was very beautiful mm. to all these lovely Protestant family members. Well, I can't wait to have some personal prayer about what freebies the Lord has given me in my life and receive them again and drink from the the font again. So thanks for that. Father, this book, Personal Prayer, has been such a godsend for me. I had a um, my first eight-day silent retreat about a year and a half ago, mm. and uh, I had done a couple of five days, and I thought, now is the time. The Lord arranged it all. I'm graduating yeah. to an eight-day. <laughs> I don't know about that. I just thought, I think I have a sense of five days of silence. And I I felt that invitation from the Lord. And again, He made everything happen. And I was so confident that it was right. And then I got there and I got horribly sick. Oh, no. Yeah, I was very, very sick and silent and very far away from home. There were just some different things with my director and my own prayer that were really mysteries to me. And for a little over a year, even after talking to my spiritual director here and bringing some of those things to prayer, they remained a mystery to me, but not in the open hearted, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, this is so beautiful. What a mystery, Lord. But like, what was that? (laughs) What was that? And I remember um, a few months ago, I was writing for Blessed Is She a bit about that experience. And the insight that the Lord gave me into that that eight day was so new and consoling. And that night I opened your book in bed and I read almost word for word what, mm. what the Lord had um, revealed to me about my own experience. And I just laid in bed and wept. I was so grateful. Mm. So grateful to have the language of it. So now I can't stop telling people about this book because it has translated some of those mysteries while maintaining the preciousness, the dignity mm. of prayer as a mystery. And I don't think there are enough books mm. or talks <laughs> or resources out there that do really gently and beautifully hold your hand and help you to understand your own experience of the interior life or even how to begin. Because I think there are many people who love the Lord and are going to Mass, but mm. Have, have never had a mentor, have never been taught how to have a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord through prayer, how to receive the Father's love. Mm. But again, they, they have such a love, such a devotion, even a devotional life, but there's that, that disconnect. Uh, so you said that this was a fruit of your own prayer. I would just love to hear a bit more about that. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that and for describing that so beautifully. Uh, and uh, it's uh, certainly exactly the kind of fruit that we hope for mm-hmm. in uh, in writing the book. Father Tom, as I mentioned, is my spiritual director. He's uh, been a Benedictine for 40-some years and has done a tremendous amount of spiritual direction. In my 17 years of priesthood, I've also done quite a lot of spiritual direction. And part of it is just our experience uh, personally going deep in prayer and and trying to translate I do a lot of well, both of us do a, a lot of reading from the you know the classical sources on prayer Carmelite Passionist Dominican uh, also Benedictine actually translating that into experience mm. you know we we hear a lot about dark nights well, like what does that feel like yeah what's that actually like it's you know kind of this weird thing out there but what is that 
how does that really come into our life? And so we're able to experience that in our own prayer life, but then also in the, the privilege of so many people who have opened their hearts to us, and, and a whole variety of people, seminarians, priests, monks, uh, but a lot of married people, single people, young people, old people, and, and a lot of experiences in prayers and prayer. And so it's, you know, I think uh, gave us a chance to put some language that's a little bit more accessible around some of that. And and a lot of it is, is the kind of stuff that we say in spiritual direction over and over again. I have to admit, there was a little bit of a utilitarian part of me, which was like, maybe I could just write this down yes. and then people could read it so I wouldn't have to say it over yes. and over and over again. And yeah. That's why we make 90% of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's a, there's a value. Now, some things actually just need to be spoken. You don't mm-hmm. actually receive them until... Because we... Mm-hmm. As the book points out, and as the spiritual direction book that we also wrote points out, I mean, the relationship is important. So we, we can't mm-hmm. replace relationships with books, ultimately. But there are things that we can write down and help to seed and form and, and guide some of those uh, relationships and experiences. One of my favorite things, I'm not going to read aloud your own book to you, although that is one of my favorite things to do on the we, podcast. We had a whole podcast for that. I can't wait for our next one where we just read it all more as you get deeper into it. Well, uh, truthfully, I can't even, I want to sit down and read it, but sometimes just this sentence will like stop me in right. my tracks, just the image of it. And then I have to pray with that for a while. Um. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you could say. Oh, yeah. good. Well, yeah. it's true. Yeah. 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 We really wanted to be prayerful, not just a bunch of ideas. Yeah. And, and to be a little bit vulnerable and honest, it's mm. a danger for me. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of ideas and yeah. I can spend a lot of time in my head mm. and getting into the heart, being sort of fully present and yeah. uh, able to encounter the mystery, not just think about it mm-hmm. is, is really important. So, so glad that we could offer something to help with that. Yeah. I wondered if you would talk a little bit about something that I have found so helpful and I use all the time, which I always credit you. If you could talk about the levels of trust and conversation, I think that's so helpful when people are praying but aren't feeling connected. There is something we can do on our end in terms of honesty, vulnerability, and kind of moving the relationship deeper. Yeah. And I I have to credit Judith Glazer, who did that work on conversational intelligence. And actually, I got it from uh, doing Strength Finders coaching. The, uh, really? the, the coach trainer, Joe Cavanaugh, who's a tremendous person, uh, used that work. And I immediately was like, oh, this is great. Mm. This language, these categories, this is useful for all kinds of things. I really wanted to in- include it in the spiritual direction book, but we had already published that. <laughs> so, I was like, it's going to go in the other one. Yeah, just those three levels of conversation which Judith Glazer did all of the neuroscience mm. and biology. And yeah, I think she used it for a dissertation or something. And, and it fits in, you know, coaching and leadership and it fits in all kinds of contexts, but I think comes so nicely into personal relationships. And so that flows into ministerial relationships, spiritual direction, mm. and also the personal relationship we have with God in prayer. Mm. And the three levels move through increasing levels of trust. Mm. So that's really what's being cultivated. The transactional builds basic trust. When I ask you, how's the weather outside? Mm. And it's sunny and warm. And you say, it's terrible, snowing and cold. We don't have trust because we're not aligning on basic facts (laughs) of life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the transactional is helpful. 
uh, for establishing basic trust. But it's sort of ask, tell, basic facts, not a lot going on there. Sometimes I describe that also as like a Google search. You know, mm. Google is transactional. Yeah. So if you can interact with Google, you know, with another human being at a Google level, well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, anyway, not much. It could be replaced with Google. Uh, positional requires more trust, and it uses a little different part of the brain. And it's uh, more about, I'm, I'm now investing more of myself in expressing my opinion about something. I'm arguing for something. I believe something. I'm advocating for something. And I'm interested in what your position on it is. And so I'm also inquiring about your position. When I'm doing that, I'm a little guarded. I'm looking for holes in your argument. Mm. I'm listening critically to what you're saying. And I'm saying things in a little bit of a guarded and defended way because I want you to believe what I believe. And so Mm. there's more trust, but there's also a sort of guardedness and strategizing and, and some of that angling around things. And then the the highest level of trust and the highest level of conversation, which takes place in the prefrontal cortex, which is the human part of our brain, and it releases oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone that does all kinds of good things in us. And it actually, as we remain there, can have an epigenetic effect, meaning that it changes our DNA. So this is called what she calls transformational conversation. And it's where I can really share freely And you are in a posture of discovering in what I'm sharing. You're not criticizing it. You're not analyzing it. You're not ready to shoot it down. You're not ready to replace it with your own ideas. You're just receiving from it. And then as that's mutual, can go both ways, that you feel free to share whatever and that I'm discovering and receiving freely. And that kind of conversation transforms us Mm -hmm. and goes out of real vulnerability. I'm willing to share anything. And there's a free flow to that that kind of conversation. So I think the the interrelational dimension of that and the value of that in coaching on the one hand or Mm -hmm. spiritual direction on the other hand or or small groups, you can think of small groups that have transformational conversation as opposed to the kind or the moment when we're really developing the trust between the members where it's a little bit more, you know, what do you stand for? What do you believe? How do I position myself against that? When we can open into that transformational conversation, a lot of beautiful things flow from that. And then to take that into prayer, you can think of the transactional. I'm trying to get my stuff out of God. I'm going to ask for something, you know, fix this, do this. Mm -hmm. Why is this? Tell me this. It's more transactional or positional. I I'm trying to win God over. I, you know, we always have to think of the prayer of Abraham, right? What about 50? How about 40? 35? 30? What if there were only 10 righteous people? Would you, you know, uh, so that's positional. He's, he's trying to win God over to his, his perspective. But when it becomes transformational, when I'm really willing to bring my heart, when I'm willing to bring my my own thoughts, my wounds, my experience, my fears, my hopes, when I'm just willing to open all of that up, feel it, share it, uh, bring it before the Lord. And then likewise, open to his sharing of his heart. I mean, he does that obviously in more obscure ways through faith than you and I are are doing now. But uh, still, what's his dream for the world? Pope Francis uses that language a lot, and I really love it. God's dream for your life or God's dream for humanity, to think about that. Or what are God's concerns, if we can anthropomorphize him a little bit? But, you know, what does he worry about? Who is he 
caring for? Who does he want us to reach out because he's concerned about this person and he wants us to be his his voice? But to really open to that kind of intimate, mutual friendship, that's transforming for us, transforming for our prayer life. Something I couldn't help but think about as you were sharing that, especially on that third level, the transformational. Yeah, you got it. Is how essential it is to understand how to listen. And I think that that's so beautiful and evident in my own journey of having a spiritual director and just what a gift it is to be listened to and to be given space to continue my thought, to keep thinking and try to articulate more what I say. She always is just so patient with me. I struggle just trying to articulate things in general sometimes and to have someone sit there and continue to wait and listen has built so much trust in my life. And I find such value in that now in friendships Mm. that just sit there and listen. And I just think that that's so key. It's so important to that building of trust is that we're able to listen to each other. That kind of listening is really making a space for the other person in our hearts and the way that we listen, that we're, we're really willing to track the conversation and to enter into and feel in, in so far as that's possible, what the person is going through to really try to understand where they're leading with a particular story or a concern or hurt or any of those kinds of things that that kind of listening requires really making a, a, a space, making room in ourselves for the other. We actually, we talk about it in, in the spiritual direction book, and it's one of the places that you might say is a contribution that book made. We call it vulnerable attentiveness, and it's a recognition that there's a, a vulnerability in that kind of listening. Obviously, in spiritual direction, you're sp- sharing with your spiritual director. He's not, oh, let me tell you about you know everything that's happening in my life. It's not a symmetrical relationship, mm-hmm. but the spiritual director has to be uh, really vulnerable as well to make room for you and to give you space to hurt to struggle to you know uh, to to really give you soft tissue in her heart to to take you in and and feel be willing to take be taken along and move to tears or or filled with joy or to struggle with you to really be inside of your experience mm-hmm. and and that's vulnerable you know in that transformational conversation share and discover so that attitude of I'm really going to discover something that I, I don't know, yeah. which is your experience. Only you know that from the inside. Only you know your interior life. And I can only discover it from you. And I'm not going to criticize and I'm not going to say, well, that's wrong. You know, you're not supposed to feel that. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to think that or whatever. I'm going to receive it from you. And you may change my worldview if I do that. Wow. So I'm making myself really vulnerable to you because I trust you that much to take you into my heart. In that same vein of, of silence, you speak about the silence of God in a very beautiful way. I think that at times when we experience the silence of God in prayer, we don't have that generous of a interpretation of it. We perceive that God's silence is absence or coldness or punishment even. Mm. But you describe the silence of God in a similar way. Mm. that he's making space in loving, attentive listening. It was very healing for me, gave me context for many of my, you know, tirades in prayer when (laughs) when the Lord wasn't answering. Yeah, no, you you said that very well. 
It's really fundamental for us as Christians to take seriously the statement that God is love. We have to keep reworking because we're, we're always building on our human experience to some degree or another. And our human experience is not that everyone who was in a godlike position for us are that was perfectly love. Uh, in some cases because of sin, in other cases because of human limitation. You know, we, our parents couldn't be with us every moment of our life and absolutely mm-hmm. attentive to us. I yes. mean, you know, but they gave us uh, an, an indication, an experience, and then uh, we have to allow God to fill that in. But there were times perhaps that others in our lives have given us the silent treatment, mm-hmm. have shut us down or pushed us out. And so there's always a, this uh, ambiguity around silence. And so we need to always give God the God is love interpretation mm-hmm. and find an interpretation that, that incorporates that. And, and in God's case, if he were loud, he, he would be shouting us down or he would be sort of scaring us into compliance. But in that case, and I got this image from, from somebody else who credited John Paul II, but I've never been able to find in his writings, although you get some glimpses, but this idea of, of God being like a shy child mm-hmm. and the insight being that when a, a child is shy, you have to really prove that you want to listen mm. and that you want to spend time and that you care. Mm. Uh, that shy child is not going to force it on you. And in that way, I think God does draw that out of us. Like, do you yeah. really want to be with me? Yeah. So there are things that we need to know, and he will tell us. They're called the Ten Commandments, <laughs> right? But there are, there are other things that, in a sense, we don't need to know mm. Um, but they start to move into the realm of love. And love requires freedom and space. And you know that from you know, dating relationships and marriage and these kinds of things. You know, if it were uh, this kind of pursuit that never allowed for a response or never allowed any space for the beloved to uh, have their own initiatives or, or responses to that, to that lover, then it would be, you know, command and control. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be a, a, a relationship of mutual love. And so, God gives us that space that we experience as silence, and it has a way of drawing some stuff out of us, including sometimes those anxieties or those bad experiences of the past or the, some of those wounds. And he draws those out because he, he wants to heal them, transform them. He wants us to bring those things into relationship with him as well. So yeah, his silence always has a positive uh, end result or a positive goal, but, but we experience it's hard. It'd be hard to persevere in those times of silence and and again, part of it is because we have to face ourselves and our fears and our, uh, our own stuff. My husband and I are both very um, impulsive people, like very <laughs> impulsive. And when we have an idea or like feel a prompting from the Lord, we just want to go after it and do it and execute and not so much like check it off, but like we did this and like we're working with the Lord. It feels good, you know? There's an obedience to it. Totally. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a prompt obedience. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. just like, yeah, Lord, let's go do that. But recently, well, over the past almost year, the Lord has put something on our heart and we're like ready to do it. And he's like, not yet. It's not time yet. And not so, I wouldn't say it's silence, but it feels unclear still. It feels blurry. And in this, blurriness or or lack of clarity, we are drawing so much closer because we want it to become clearer. It's mind-blowing to me how the Lord can draw us so close in intimacy through different ways, right? So one of them for us right now is 
not so much that we're looking for an answer, but we want to come close so that we can know who you are, Lord, so that we can know what your will is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it just made me think of it as you were sharing that. Just Again, it's not so much silence, but I guess a lack of a direction. When we feel like Mike says it pretty often, my husband Mike, we know step seven, but the Lord still has us at step one. You know, (laughs) like he still is right here and he wants us so close right here. Mm. So it's just been really a beautiful exercise, Mm. I guess, or a beautiful invitation from the Lord to come close to him and in our own journeys and our own paths to come close to him, Mm. to learning more about his heart. And hopefully one day, Lord, get some clarity. <laughs> and there's there's always a danger for us to become a little bit too utilitarian, yes. right? To, you know, use God as the big mm-hmm. answer book. Yeah. Uh, and he wants a relationship with us above all that's, that's aimed towards uh, love and holiness that's not aimed towards the uh, projects and mm. uh, whatever the things are that we tend to get to get focused on. And so sometimes he he's just drawing us to to focus on him. Yeah. At the end of the day, all of our projects will be nothing, and there will be only him. So and true. so he wants us to get ready for that. <laughs> it's so hard, though, to disconnect from the desire to do good things for the Lord and to remember just what you said, that God is love. So that's his only aim, his only motivation. That's the point. Is it because we have this broken language of love, we, we have these experiences that have not been totally loving, that we think it has to be something else? Why is it so hard to believe that all he wants is relationship? Yeah. I think that's a, there's a different answer for different people in, mm. that, in that space, but it's certainly easy to get the, the cart before the horse. So we want to love him. We sort of get that that involves doing good things. We get excited about doing good things. We want to do more good things. Yes. <laughs> and sort of keeping those things aligned yeah. is, uh, can, can be challenging. And so we always need those resets. I mean, it's so beautiful. You make a, a five-day or an eight-day retreat. And I think for, for all serious Catholics to make some you know, weekend retreat, a five-day retreat, it's just really good to have that reset, to take that time to evaluate, where, where am I and why am I doing this? And what's this all about? And, and how far afield have I gone from just that basic call to to love God above all things. Yeah. And it's hard, too. I mean, he's really, he's drawing us into a space of, uh, let's be honest, we're talking about having relationships with him, and uh, we haven't seen him, and uh, we haven't heard him with our ears, and we haven't, you know, I mean, we inter- interact with him in these obscure ways, and it just, it's hard for us. We we live through the senses. The senses are what present the world to us, and he's not accessible to the senses. And so, we're just always looking for. This is why there's always a danger of idolatry throughout the whole, mm. you know, history of Scripture. And we want to get our hands on something that we have some control over, mm. and to simply remain in this posture of openness before Him is yeah. it really stretches us. So we move from the project that's about us to the project that's about God, but it's still about the project. Oh, yes. <laughs> and wow. we have to move from the project then to to the Lord and try to stay there. I know that you have a theme of evangelization this year. And so many of the things that we've been talking about fit right into that yes. yeah, and are really important. Like that transformational conversation, mm-hmm. 
we're in danger of doing too much positional conversation when it comes to evangelization. Yes. I got to convince you of my thing. And then it becomes about my thing and I'm going to win my, you know, the people over to my thing and whatever. And, and it gets into a weird space. Yeah. And fundamentally, we need to love people. Yes. And I find it so often in spiritual direction. Uh, sometimes I have directees who are coming, you know, I, the example that always comes to mind, I, I work with uh, seminarians and they're, you know, they come in, Father, I don't think I'm called to the priesthood. And immediately the thing rises up in me. Yes, you are. Mm. And I want to like prove it to him. And I realize I'm never going to get him there by convincing him. And so I said, well, tell me more about that. What's coming up for you? And I, I back off. I set my weapons down yes. and uh, make some space and really try to enter in to understand what's happening there. And as that starts to flow and that transformation takes place in him, so many times now, uh, different things can come out of that, but so many times then it's like, oh yeah, something falls into place. Now I can see how mm. to move forward from here. And, and so there, there is a point to pointing in, in a direction. We do need to give some explanation for the faith, or, yes. but sometimes we turn people into projects and just that posture of listening is, is so important. Mm-hmm. to engage them, to listen, to love them, to find out what's going on, and then the rest of the conversation. Because if we actually believe we have the best thing, well, then it's going to fit into that person's life. Yes. But then we need to know what that person's life is. When you were sharing a bit about the silence, mm-hmm. it just makes me think of the Lord and His example and just mm-hmm. His posture of listening to us when He is silent at times and taking all of us in Again, not to solve it, but mm-hmm. but to simply be with us. And uh, so it's so beautiful. I love to look at the Lord as an example of like the master evangelist, mm. you know, and just can imagine his own posture of listening to mm-hmm. every person he met, you know. When I think when we've had that experience with the Lord of being heard, yeah. and it means so much to us, we can gift that same experience mm. of being received to another person. Yeah. Yeah. Both our experience of being heard by him and being, being heard by others. Mm-hmm. And that's so wonderfully mutually reinforcing. And that has to be an, an essential part of evangelization. Now people play different roles in somebody's evangelization, you know, and, and somebody can be the, the guy that has all the answers, but then mm-hmm. somebody else needs to be the person that really listens and mm-hmm. helps to, to fit those pieces together. And then I, I think in terms of prayer too, it, Sometimes we get a little bit too focused on getting people in the door, and mm. then we run out to grab more people, and we fail to really form the people that are in the door. Mm. And whether it's the people who have been coming and maybe aren't quite sure why they're coming, or whether it's the people that we just finally got in the door, in either case, we need to do that ongoing formation that it really develops into a relationship. And the more that we can form the Catholics in the pews, in love. I mean, why Why am I an evangelist? Because I fell in love with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm an evangelist. That's that's why I'm sharing the faith. If we can help everybody to fall in love with Jesus, then then we can't stop talking about him, living for him, sharing him with everybody. And then we have a whole force for evangelization. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes we fall short of that. Uh, I love some of the, the programs, you know, Alpha or Christ's Life, or you know, there's so many different, even a, a Life in the Spirit Seminar or an Unbound Conference. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these things bring people to make a personal profession of faith. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, got them. And then out to have another Unbound or another Alpha or another Life in the Spirit or another, and we're going to gather in a new crop of people. And 
Uh, and that's great, but then somebody also needs to form those people that came in and help them to grow in prayer. And what happens when they encounter silence, when the exciting beginning sort of goes into the the boring mundane, and what happens, how do they interact with the Lord when he's hidden from them and they're they're struggling with different things? And and that's where things like spiritual direction, personal accompaniment, small groups, oh, all the wonderful things that you're already doing are uh, are so helpful to lead people deeper in their in their faith life. It's been made more visible, I guess, lately. Um, the reality that there are so many of my brothers and sisters in the pews who come every Sunday and who live extremely devout lives and who love the Lord in their way and who teach their families about the faith, who have built a culture of Catholicism in their lives. And yet something could happen from a million small things to one big thing. And you can come face to face perhaps with the reality that maybe I never even knew the Lord. This was all just a culture. This was all something so good and virtuous. My family is is good and beautiful, but I don't know him. And I feel a very deep conviction and desire from the Lord, I believe, to really help people understand the transformational power of his love. Because it grieves me deeply to see God's children, us, there and present, but not truly know him. Yeah. And and those relationships, again, as we were talking about, somebody who can really listen, Mm. really make room for someone in their hearts, can be so critical in those times that People run into a wall for various reasons. You know, a house burns down or, or somebody in their family dies or there's a diagnosis of cancer. Or a lot of different things happen and it really shakes our faith and we don't know how to fit this in. Our understanding of God didn't incorporate this kind of tragedy and, and we don't know what to do. But we know, you know, people know that they have you, they have friends that they can reach out to and say, I don't get it. I'm really angry. I'm hurt. Uh, this this doesn't make sense to me. And to be able to enter into that space with them, mm-hmm. first of all, and just give them room to to feel it mm. and protest and, and then to walk with them through it and, and maybe be able to direct them eventually into prayer and to scripture mm. and different ways of, uh, of incorporating that. But mm-hmm. I was giving a, a retreat on St. Joseph to some men, so I have to give credit to... Uh, to a man from that group who pointed out that, you know, St. Joseph had a time of doubt like that, mm. that he really struggled. And in that time of, of doubt, he was ready to break rule number five for all of those Ignatian <laughs> listeners yeah. out Ooh. there in a time of spiritual desolation. Don't change your spiritual plan, which was to marry the Blessed Virgin. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when he was there uh, struggling, you know, and it's, uh, it's nice to make light of it. But I, I do love also mm. the way that Pope Francis described what he was doing as an Abrahamic sacrifice. Mm. Wow. To, to separate himself from Our Lady was un- unimaginably painful. Mm. Like Abraham, who waited a hundred years for his son to be born and then is going to offer him back to God, mm. right? That's the kind of struggle that Joseph was going through. And he was about to make that step. And then God sent him a spiritual director in the form of the angel in the dream. And he said, don't do that. That's not a good idea. And furthermore, I have more for you to do, not just to stay married to Our Lady, but to be the father for the child that I've, 
placed in her womb. So uh, we can learn from Joseph also mm-hmm. how how easy it is, even for, uh, let's say, we can argue he is the holiest man who ever lived and married to the holiest woman and holiest person who ever lived and raising together the Son of God mm-hmm. himself. But Joseph also ran into that dark night, ran into that terrible tragedy and difficulty, inner struggle, and he needed some assistance. Now, he got wow. some divine assistance, but you know we can be an angel for each other in that way in those, in those tough times. Well, Father, we're so grateful for all that you shared, and especially for these books that we can keep learning from you. <laughs> and uh, we want to encourage everyone to get, well, these two, and you have a third spiritual direction that you mentioned. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning from you at a workshop this weekend here in Phoenix, and just so grateful to God for His providence and love that that you're here. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Love to. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us in this time and for communicating so much love to the listeners as you draw close to each one of them personally through our friendship and conversation. And I ask you to continue blessing Jenna and Beth and the beautiful work they do at Blessed Is She through the intercession of Our Lady and St. Joseph. You may bring many good fruits out of this uh, beautiful ministry. I ask for you to pour out your blessing upon them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. So good to be with you. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you next time. (laughs) 